And welcome, Strange Seeds. You're listening to the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. Open your mind, take off that flesh suit, and dive into primordial waters as we swim through the mystical and magical, weird phenomenon, unsettling synchronicities, and the truly terrifying. I'm your host, Britt. Hey guys, it's Britt. Alright, honestly, I was writing like three different episodes for this week, even though I know I put out two episodes last week, (laughs) but I did want to put out some content this week for you guys just to hold you over. Again, I was writing like three different episodes for this week, and I really just wasn't settling on anything that I was writing, and writer's block got me on the first two, (laughs) especially. But hopefully there are subjects that I can return to because I do think they will interest you all, and they were on my like original idea dump list. So I ran back through my episode idea dump list and suddenly thought about something that wasn't even on the list that might be interesting to discuss. So literally, yesterday, (laughs) I wrote this entire episode. It is creepy shit that 90s kids like myself might remember. Things that just leave searing impressions on you for years to come, far outgrowing your childhood. Once I started listing things, the juices started flowing and I couldn't stop my fingers from typing. This will hopefully be a longer episode, like I said before, so let that be a warning to those of you who can hardly stand listening to me for 25 minutes. There are some things that we are all exposed to as children that we probably shouldn't have been, right? I mean, some things that our parents even thought were okay to show us might have had a profoundly negative impact on some of us, or maybe there were just some things that just rubbed us the wrong way. I know my parents were strict in some ways, but pretty lax in others, and they allowed my brother and I to watch some fucked up shit. No offense to them at all, because I pretty much like it all to this day, actually. For for the most part. One such thing that I was allowed to see as a kid is first on our list for today's topic. Rotten.com. My introduction into shock sites and the deep dark web was when my uncle and father let my brother and I look at a website on their relatively new computer when we were kids. I don't remember exactly how young, but I it was probably safe to say that I was either close to being in middle school or maybe around middle school age because we really didn't have computers in my family before that point. So, Full disclosure, we were way too young to be looking at the images of eviscerated bodies, crime scene photos, gory deaths, and disfigurements, but that's exactly what we were doing. The site was called Rotten.com. For those that aren't familiar, I did some digging because the original site domain, listen carefully there, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, technically no longer exists. Rotten.com is or was, what is known as a shock site that was around from 1996 until 2012. It was full of images of truly disturbing things as previously listed, and I'll spare you too much detail, but I will share with you some of the pictures that stuck with me from the site, whether they were real or not. 
Content warning, the following will contain a brief interlude of graphic description, of visual depictions of violence, gore, and death. So here we go. I remember there was one picture that I saw and it was basically just like someone's forearm and then a meat grinder. There, of course, their arm going into the meat grinder and then their ground hand basically coming out of the other side of the meat grinder. I remember that was one picture that stuck with me. It was black and white. Most of these pictures were black and white that I remember anyways, but I don't know if that's just like how my mind is remembering them or if they were actually black and white. I don't know. Um, there was another where it was just like a railroad track section or maybe a subway track section because there were like really tall walls on either side, like not directly on either side, but with some room, but there were really tall walls. So it wasn't outside, at least from what I remember. But anyways, there was the lower half of a body down toward the bottom part of the picture and then like some intestines, bowels, I don't know what's less descriptive, but I, I did tell you guys this was going to be descriptive and graphic. Connecting, the bowels were connecting the upper half of the body that was like smashed to shit. And I'm assuming this person got ran over by either a train or like a subway. Uh, my mind is blanking on the word for those subway car thingies, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then there was another photo that I remember that stuck with me. And this was just like a profile <laughs> of, I'm sorry, not a, not a, like a side profile, uh, like a frontal view of someone, a male looked like his face, but you could see his eyes, and then, like, from his nose down was just this, like, mess of smashed in, eviscerated what would have been his mouth and jaw, but it was, like, all hanging open and just, like, not, like, you could see some teeth in there, and then way toward the bottom, you could see the tongue just hanging loose and then the bot what was left of the bottom jaw under the tongue just way down where a tie would start on a guy or like a bow tie would be like it was hanging way down there but yeah holy shit those were some of the images that i remember that stuck with me from the site rotten.com today you can still find the site today, though it exists under a different domain. It's easily accessible through a Google search, but I will not be posting the link as I don't want to create a channel of disruptive negative energies. Browse for it at your own accord and mental risk. Next on the list, I feel like this one is just a given. <laughs> If you loved these, I'm sorry, because I'm about to just verbally just fucking rip these things apart for the evil conduits they are. Furby toys. <laughs> My brother and I had some Furby toys at some point. Now, I can't remember how long they lasted, uh, if it was only like one Furby toy, what even happened to it or them, but I do remember growing up being creeped out by these odd but also kind of cute Furby beings. 
Their large eyes would open and close, and their little beaks would move as they spoke. Furbies first came into existence in 1998 and were soon acquired by Hasbro. They're basically like the gremlins of the real world. It's easy to make jokes like, don't feed your Furby after midnight because they're so just fucking unsettling. Now, I don't personally have any creepy Furby stories to share, but I did find some on the handy dandy internet. And here are just a couple that I thought were spooky enough to share. Now, the last one is a little more humorous than spooky, but I, I had to put it in there. Number one. I had a Furby that I loved for a few months, then I turned her off and set her up in my closet. I didn't want to give her away. She sat there in view with her eyes closed for probably four years. One day I opened my, opened my closet door. Her eyes are open. She blinked at me. Then I got rid of her. Sorry, Melaka. I will link the source for this one. This is from Reddit user Land Elk, Land underscore Elk. And number two. <laughs> when asked to post this story, this person said, I've been waiting my whole life for this. In elementary school, I was invited to sleep over at my friend Sally's for her birthday. There were quite a few girls going. We were told everyone was going to sleep in the family room, and somehow I scored the couch. Now, Sally loved Furbies, and above the couch was a shelf dedicated to them. There were a shit ton of Furbies in different shapes, sizes, and colors on that shelf. So the party is okay, everyone gets ready for bed, and I get comfortable on the couch. Fast forward to a few hours, everyone is dead asleep, I myself am in a nice de deep sleep. When suddenly the shelf breaks, the wooden part falling behind the couch, while the Furbies rain down on me, my sleeping form. Activated by whatever the fuck activated Furbies, movement or sound or whatever, they come alive. I am awoken by a horde of Furbies all over me, talking and moving and looking at me. I eventually recovered from that night, but I had nightmares for years after. Now, this is from Reddit user Derpahoo, and again, I will link this story in the description below, or in the de episode description for you guys. Now, this next one. I thought I was the only one with this fear, but apparently I'm not alone, which is a bit comforting. There's just something about the intro theme song for the X-Files show that rubs you the wrong way, or it, it rubs me the wrong way at least. Those tones and the corresponding weird images just have a strange, unsettling effect on you. Growing up, I had an extreme fear of aliens, so that probably did not help at all. In fact, I could not say the word alien or think about them too much because I was so terrified that it would cause them to manifest or show up, taking me away from everything that I knew forever. This was a legitimate fear that I had and it literally was the worst. This fear has taken me most of my life to get over and doing more, re more research into aliens has helped a bunch. Now I just think, why haven't you taken me? <laughs> Heck, I've even rewatched all of the original X-Files and can now handle the theme song. I don't recommend exposure therapy, that's not what I'm saying, but I guess it worked for me. If you have this irrational phobia of or get off-putting vibes from the X-Files theme song, let me know. The truth is out there, right? 
Okay, so I can't remember how young I was when I first saw the movie, but I think a childhood staple for 90s kids culture is most definitely The Blair Witch Project. The movie was released in 1999, so it barely makes the cut here, if we're just specifically talking about things from the 90s. As a kid watching it, it does give you chills. One of the earlier revived found footage style films, The Blair Witch Project portrays itself as a genuine, real horror film. Set in Burkittsville, Maryland, it tells the story of three student filmmakers who are interested in filming a documentary about a local legend of Burkittsville known as the Blair Witch. She supposedly haunts the woods, and so the woods are where the three students venture and camp. Soon into their trip, they experience bizarre phenomena like uh, waking up to strange person-shaped structures everywhere, hanging in the trees, and rocks being thrown at them while they're in their tents. I remember them finding a bag of teeth at one point. There was a scene, if I recall correctly, where their map went missing and they were all frustrated and like blaming one another for, for it. And this caused like a lot of tension within their group. Anyway, one of the three students ends up missing and they end up finding him in the house where some guy had previously kidnapped a bunch of kids and subsequently murdered them. They all panic and end up running into the woods for some reason or another, and you see the infamous scene where the girl is crying over the night vision light of the camera, clearly terrified. And yeah, that's the Blair Witch. Alright, this next one. So, admittedly, I didn't watch the series too much as a kid, though I do remember a few episodes. But a movie that was almost like a treasure of my brother and I's childhood was Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Now, I don't know if my mom or my dad showed us this movie, but I do remember being completely enthralled with the entire thing. From the moving stars inscribed in the main character's hand, Palm, the vampire creatures let loose on the town, and the scene I'll never forget, a woman, while fighting off the creatures that get into like the hotel or whatever, she gets her arm ripped off, and it's like a super bloody scene. Filters Hey Man nice shots playing in the background at some point after a fiery car crash while the main dude just walks away. It's, it's badass. Definitely made an impression on me as a kid growing up. These creatures and the ones in From Dusk Till Dawn were actually my first exposures to vampires, you know, so a far cry from the Twilight Shed of the late 2000s. The Tales from the Crypt series, on the other hand, is really good also, and I recommend it if you like creepy shit. I actually watched this series before I watched The Outer Limits, which I also really like, though I've honestly not seen much of The Twilight Zone, which is more famous, I guess, than the former two. Nonetheless, the show, Tales from the Crypt, features a man from my childhood, as he also did an intro for the movie Demon Knight, that I will love forever, that dusty old crypt keeper. <laughs> Gods, I love that skeleton dude. Now, he usually cracks pun-filled jokes. Some of them are super dry, but I love them nonetheless. As he introduces each episode of the show to viewers, and he cackles his signature cackle. And sometimes, or most of the time, there are these, like, scantily clad ladies adorning each of his, like, decrepit arms, or what remains of them, anyway. Since we're discussing movies and TV shows of our childhoods, or mine at least, 
let's dip into the chaos-inducing world of Hellraiser. Ooh. Another movie series I watched probably way too young, I'm sure many of us are in the same boat. Pinhead was a key figure in horror culture as I grew up, and I've seen all the shitty movies included in the anthology, even the ones not directed by Clive Barker. Apparently the first movie, at least, was inspired by his short novella titled The Hellbound Heart, which he wrote and published in 1986. The original Hellraiser film was released only a year later in 1987. The film and the book both feature the infamous puzzle box, also known as the Le Marchand or Lament configuration, that is much like an accursed Pandora's box. When solved, it unleashes powerful, sadistic beings known as Cenobites unto the puzzle doer. The Cenobites can't tell the difference between pleasure and pain, and man oh man do they inflict some incredible pain. The leader of the Cenobites was Pinhead, a name I previously mentioned. You can see him on the cover art of the movie. I think he was portrayed by Doug Bradley, but I could be getting that wrong. I won't give the movie details away because there's honestly a lot, but there's smut, it's really gory, and the Cenobites are badass and creepy looking. It's a mindfuck of a movie, and I'm really not sure how I made it through without my mind just scrambling as a kid. Alright, we all love this one. I don't care who you are, but it is creepy. If you don't love it because you're creeped out, that's understandable. What am I talking about? That lovable, easily spooked, nervous bundle of pink talking dog, Courage the Cowardly Dog. I would say this show was ahead of its time, but I won't because that would take away from the wonderful experiences this show provided us as children, almost beckoning us into weirder worlds and mystical mindsets. Courage the Cowardly Dog first aired in February of 1996. As the intro to the show says, or the news anchor to nowhere, some creepy stuff happens in nowhere, and it's up to Courage to save his new home. Because we all know from the intro that he was abandoned as a pup and taken in by Muriel and her grumpy-ass husband Eustace Bag. Now, I really wish I had a co-host for this episode so I had someone to bounce creepy courage shit off of, but that's okay. In a perfect world. Let's dive into some of the villain or antagonist characters that I thought were some of the most shady and scary in the series. There are, of course, the major antagonists like cats, the red cool cat who just basically has it out for Muriel, well I mean also and Courage. In the first season, he tries to feed Muriel and Eustace to his spiders, telling the bags that no dogs are allowed in the cat's motel when they first arrive. I guess you could say Cats is Courage's nemesis. The Queen of the Black Puddle is a siren-like witchy woman who transforms into a water monster fish thing underwater. She appears after some bad storms leave puddles of water on the farm, and she starts, like, whispering to Muriel and Eustace and Courage through the water droplets in the house and in the puddles. So Courage ends up having to go underwater. Now, I don't remember if he goes voluntarily or if she drags him there. I don't know why I remember him wearing, like, flippers for this. Like, the diving flipper thingies. Anyways, he goes there to save Muriel and Eustace from sure demise, as per usual. 
Now, this lady is more creepy and alluring than actually scary, but still worth mentioning, I think, especially with her, like, creepy whispers of their names in the house from the droplets. Benton Tarantella, the famous independent movie director, certainly a play on Quentin Tarantino, I think, and many others think, shows up at the house of Muriel and Eustace, asking to make a zombie movie on their farm and in their house. Courage ends up finding out that Benton was murdered by his partner, or maybe they were both murdered together or something, and he's attempting to resurrect his partner, and then, according to the script that Courage finds, eat Muriel. Somebody's always trying to eat Muriel. <laughs> Some other creepy figures and scenes from the show include a cut-out black-and-white floating head spirit haunting the house when the bags neglect their farm, a very unsettling scene in another episode. This one is probably the creepiest in my opinion. Courage is, I think it's the episode Perfect, where this lady that Muriel and Eustace can't see, but Courage can see. This lady comes into the house and is trying to make Courage do things perfectly, and Courage is sleeping, and he has a dream about this blue-gray CGI face creature with these spindly clay arm things that whispers to him that he's not perfect. It's like, you're not perfect. And it's just fucking terrifying, I'm sorry. And then, of course, there's Freaky Fred, cousin or nephew of Muriel, who comes to visit. Courage finds out he's secretly a barber with a freaky obsession with shaving people and animals, according to his creepy little song. And he ends up just abusing poor Courage in the bathroom, shaving him almost completely bare, save his tail. Okay, so this next one was technically not released in the 90s, though I think it did leave a lasting impression on many of us that grew up during those times. The Adventures of Mark Twain is a claymation film that was released in 1985. The Adventures of Mark Twain isn't entirely unsettling or creepy, though it is a little trippy and does have its fill of ominous moments, including a scene that left such an impression on me that I literally try to share it with everyone I meet as a way to make them uncomfortable or to, like, test how much I can throw at them. <laughs> The main characters include Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, and Becky Thatcher, and, well, Mark Twain. The trio of kids sneak onto Mark's airship where they learn he will be traveling to Halley's Comet, which Mark Twain apparently is known to have been completely enamored with. He, he supposedly was born the day or the year that Halley's Comet happened and then also died the same day or year that Halley's Comet passed through again and he made a remark during his life that he came with the comet and he was going to leave with the comet as well. Something like that. So anyways, back to the adventures of Mark Twain. When the kids learn that this is where he's going, there's almost a whisper of an aside where Huck remarks, burnt to a crisp. Possibly maybe thinking about how they could die embarking on such an adventure to the comet with Mark. Now, Mark ends up showing the trio his research, a book called like Adam and Eve or something like that, I can't remember, that opens to like, space where the story of Adam and Eve unfold. It's an interesting, humorous play on the biblical Adam and Eve story, portraying Adam as an adventure seeker 
who likes to rest, <laughs> and Eve as a logical thinker who documents nearly everything and makes friends with the animals. By far the creepiest scene in the film, in my opinion, is the scene where the kids are introduced to the mysterious stranger, aka Satan. I'd like to play a small snippet from the film, which conveys the eeriness of this scene in particular. It occurs about 40 minutes in. Here's the piece. What's your name? Satan. Uh-oh. What's the matter? Nothing. Only it's sure a sorry name for an angel. Please come in. Okay, so that was the snippet. I know you all can't see what's going on, so I encourage you to watch it if you can handle it. I will link the piece in the episode description under sources, but it's easily accessible if you just do an internet search for The Mysterious Stranger Adventures of Mark Twain or something of the like. The stranger appears to wear a white face mask that's almost like a theater mask that's being held up by nothing, of course, or maybe his hand. Um, and he's wearing like this regal suit thing that almost looks like the suits that men wear from like the old Renaissance paintings. Anyways, his mask face transforms as it speaks, and the claymation just makes it an all the more disturbing portrayal of Satan. Satan grows flowers and grass in front of the kids, remarking that, I did not learn it, it comes naturally, when asked how they learned to grow things so quickly. It then proceeds to allow the children to make people, and they end up creating a little civilization out of the clay pieces that Satan gives them. Satan gets annoyed when the clay people begin fighting over a little clay bull and tells the kids to stand aside, away from danger, as Satan zaps the village with lightning and destroys them with lightning and earthquakes, killing the clay people and destroying their little town. Satan remarks, I can do no wrong, for I do not know what it is. The kids are, of course, mortified and scram the fuck out of there when his faith morphs into that of his skull. And he then says, Life itself is only a vision, a dream. Nothing exists save empty space and you. And you are but a thought. Those are his closing words, and I'm not sure if it's like a monologue or a eulogy, but it hits you in the weirdest spots nonetheless. The movie is available to watch for free on Tubi if you're interested in the entire film. I don't know why, but I can totally picture Michael Sarah being a perfect Satan mysterious stranger if there ever was a remake. I saved my favorite from this list for last, of course, but it's certainly not the creepiest. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was collected by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamble. It was originally published in 1981, which was a surprise to me, but nonetheless, I think the books were all around and quite popular among the fringe kids, as I like to call them, during my days. The stories in the books, there are three in the collection that I have, 
range from creepy, sing-songy poems to disturbing short tales, and are all just fantastic. Some of my favorites include Wait Till Martin Comes, The Wendigo, The Haunted House, and Oh Susanna. If the stories weren't enough to do you in, try rating them with their accompanying illustrations because that's where a lot of the spook factor comes in. The illustration for The Haunted House, for example, is probably one of the more terrifying drawings in the first book at least. To lighten the mood a bit, I'd like to share one of the more humorous unsettling stories from the first book titled Wait Till Martin Comes. Here's the story. Oh, let me get the book. An old man was out for a walk. When a storm came up, he looked for a place to take shelter. Soon he came to an old house. He ran up on the porch and knocked on the door, but nobody answered. By now rain was pouring down, thunder was booming, and lightning was flashing. So he tried the door. When he found it was unlocked, he went inside. Except for a pile of wooden boxes, the house was empty. He broke up some of the boxes and made a fire with them. Then he sat down in front of the fire and dried himself. It was so warm and cozy that he fell asleep. When he woke up, a black cat was sitting near the fire. It stared at him for a while. Then it purred. That's a nice cat, he thought, and he dozed off again. When he opened his eyes, there was a second cat in the room, but this one was as big as a wolf. It looked at him very closely, and it asked, Shall we do it now? No said the other cat. Let's wait till Martin comes. I must be dreaming, thought the old man. He closed his eyes again. Then he took another look. But now there was a third cat in the room, and this one was as big as a tiger. It looked the old man over, and it asked, Shall we do it now? No, said the others. Let's wait till Martin comes. The old man jumped up, jumped out of the window and started running. When Martin comes, you tell him I couldn't wait, he called. That's the end of the story. And I think it's just great. All right. Some honorable mentions that didn't quite make the cut, but that are still definitely relevant and unsettling. Toll music videos. (laughs) If you've never seen the music video for Sober or for Schism, you just haven't lived life on the edge of the abyss, my friend. (laughs) Go take a look. There's a little disturbing as a kid watching them. Okay. But they stuck with me and Tool is one of my favorite bands. Has has always been. The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense does have... The, the Sixth Sense does have some rather disturbing scenes for a child to watch at a relatively young-ish age. Like that puke scene in the tent. And just... It is a little freaky. It's, it's a little freaky uh, as a movie if you're watching it as a kid from the perspective of the kid that sees the dead people. You know what I'm saying? The movie adaptation of Whitley Stryber's Communion. Particularly, the scene in which Whitley, portrayed by Quist- wow, Christopher Walken, wakes from sleep to feel that he's not alone. An all-too-familiar feeling. <laughs> An alien then creeps into view, peeking from around the corner of a door, if I remember correctly, and then waves its noodly arms at him as it approaches. The scene is just downright freaky. Another alien-related movie that has 
freaky scenes. Fire in the sky. The scene that sticks with me to this day, pun intended, is definitely the one where Travis hides under the table in the kitchen. Syrup spills and runs down the table, dripping down the side, and this just freaks Travis out. And me, too. The rest of the honorable mentions I won't get into in detail, but they are Doug, Cow and Chicken. Now, these two are mentioned simply because I tried watching them again as an adult and was just not having it. (laughs) Mr. Pickles. I don't know why Super Jail is okay for me to watch, but Mr. Pickles isn't. But Mr. Pickles is just out there. And let's be honest with ourselves here, Teletubbies. Some reading recommendations for you guys. The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Fire in the Sky, The Walton Experience by Travis Walton. Communion by Whitley Stryber. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz, Stephen Gamble. Film TV Recommendations. Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Hellraiser. The Adventures of Mark Twain. Courage, the Cowardly Dog. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. Some Primordia pinboard announcements I'd like to make this week. I will be adding these newest episodes to the blog site soon, so bear with me if you like to read along. The first four episodes are written out for you to read while I finish transcribing these last few. I'm making changes to the Patreon, making it more affordable, patron-friendly, and hopefully more engaging for you guys, so please stay tuned. You can join the Primordia Collective without making a monetary donation by visiting our website and subscribing there, where you'll receive a free Conscious Waste journal in the form of a downloadable and printable ebook just for subscribing. Remember, we do have both a Redbubble and a Threadless shop full of designs, as well as an Etsy with some witchy divination tools that are about to go on sale to make room for some new inventory. I will link those in the episode description for those of you that are interested, but absolutely no pressure to do so at all. I appreciate any and all support, even window shopping and site views or spreading the word or just listening. It means a ton. One more thing. Primordia is launching a campaign called Tell Me Your Story, which encourages people who don't feel heard to share their stories. The mission of the campaign is to cultivate empathy and community, empowering and uplifting through release and compassion. You can share anonymously if you wish to do so, and you can share as little or as much as you feel comfortable sharing. Think of it like a modern chicken soup for the soul type deal. I've got links for people who would like to submit stories on the main Primordia website, and I encourage you to take a look. There is merchandise available as well for the campaign, like stickers and shirts for spreading the word, postcards for story submissions, and cute buttons. That'll do it for the announcements and such. As always, thank you so much for listening. Stay strange.